Welcome to the McGuire Iron Podcast. My name is Brian Cooper. I'm the Director of Marketing at McGuire Iron and your host for this podcast. At McGuire Iron, we've been helping to store and protect quality water for over 100 years. On today's show, we will discuss who the American Water Works Association is, their mission, and how they help the water storage and wastewater industries. To help us learn more about the American Water Works Association, I'm joined by the Vice President of AWWA, Randy Moore, and the Director of Sales for McGuire Iron, Jamie Mays. Gentlemen, thanks for joining me. Thank you for having us. Yes, thank you. Randy, let's first start with the American Water Works Association and your Vice Presidency. What is the American Water Works Association for somebody who has no idea or has never heard of it before? Sure. The uh, AWWA is the industry association for uh, the water sector. And by that, I would include water, uh, potable water, and wastewater. Um, They've really expanded considerably over the past few years into the whole water sector. Um, so it's the, it's the industry source for education, uh, for training, for technical standards uh, around everything water. That, so they developed this. It's a volunteer organization. Uh, ADBA was founded in 1881 in St. Louis, my hometown, at Washington University. Uh, some gentlemen got together there, and it was 138 years, if my math is right, 138 years ago. And um, from that, those humble beginnings in St. Louis, we're now 52,000 members strong. We have 43 sections, if you will, um, including Puerto Rico and, and Canada India, you know, in Mexico. So we're kind of global in, in nature. So although the name is American Waterworks Association, we're really much broader. Speak a little bit to why is AWWA important in today's world as it pertains to water and wastewater? That's a great question. Uh, I, I, I see their role. Uh, number one, as I mentioned, standards. It's important that the industry have standards so that when we uh, can determine what are the best practices for the industry, what is what is the, uh, in the case of for us, coatings, what are the coating technologies that are acceptable in the industry? And so they really develop standards around every single component of a water system and a collection system, a wastewater plant and water treatment plant. Um, but then the general education for the operators. Operators need to maintain their license to run these plants. And so we provide certification training for them. We have a new on or mobile app uh, training kind of uh, brush-up tool that we've, we're very proud of, just launched this last year. Um, but the, the training and education of those involved in the water sector is really the primary focus of AWWA. Uh, I just happen to have our mission vision statement here in front of me, the uh, strategic plan for the association. You know, our, our mission, our vision statement is that we have better world through better water. Uh, and the mission statement is providing solutions to effectively manage water, the world's most important resource. So that's really what we're about. Any, it's kind of broad, but it's anything related to providing solutions, training, and standards to the industry. How does your relationship with the EPA work in, in regards, because I know they write a lot of the standards as well? Well, the EPA writes standards primarily around water quality, but there is something along the lines, of course, in, in water treatment uh, process, uh, distribution, and collection systems as well. ADBA works very closely with EPA, has for years. But the EPA writes the federal laws, which are then promulgated through the state primacy agencies. And I happen to have had the privilege of working uh, in the state of Missouri as a commissioner on the Safe Drinking Water Commission, 
which oversees the Missouri DNR, which is the primacy agency here in Missouri. So I, I kind of understand how they work, but their primary goal is to take a federal law and write a state law that mirrors it. It has to be at least as strong, can be stronger, and then publish that. So the time between when the EPA writes a new standard, if you will, and when it may be implemented in a state can be anywhere from five to six, seven years. How does AWWA fall into that piece of it, like Jamie mentioned, with the AW- with uh, EPA? Do you guys work closely on those things, or do you help steer things, or do they come to you for advice? How does that work? Yeah, we, we work very closely. Um, they count on us a lot of times for doing some of the research, but they have their own research facilities. They do their own research. But they, they come to us for information about what's working, what's not working in the industry. Uh, they realize we're an important stakeholder in, in the whole process. And so, yeah, it's a very collaborative arrangement. So it seems like AWWA is the more kind of boots on the ground, can give them some feel of what's actually going on industry-wide, not just specifically state by state. Correct. What's going on? What's new? What's fun? What's exciting with AWWA right now? Well, it's a, it's, it is pretty exciting. There's a lot going on in the industry. Um, I think one of the most interesting things uh, last, last week was the annual conference. ACE 19 was held in Denver. Uh, record attendance, over 12,000 people there. And I attend, I'm still a member of the uh, steel tank, main steel tank committee. I think it's 305 is the number. Uh, but it oversees all of the tank subcommittees and all the things going on relative to tanks. And um, during the course of that meeting, as kind of an intro, they were giving updates on some of the things going on. And one of the, one of the neat things that's happening is AWA has switched to uh, only a kind of a hard copy of the Opflow magazine or the journal, and now a new science magazine, which will be the new peer-reviewed magazine. They've gone from hard copies only to now electronic versions. They've partnered with Wiley Publications. And so now all of our publications, all of our standards, all of, all of our manuals of practice, the guidance documents, everything will be available online. And uh, at any time, searchable online. So those doing research industry can go back and access not only what's current, but we're going to upload, if you will, all of the past as much as we can. That's one of the things today is, you know, technology moving as it is. And it seems like the water and wastewater energy or industry is starting to catch up to that trend of having things easily accessible so that you don't have to order a book or that kind of thing anymore. Yep. It's, it's more information faster is what, what the industry's after. So what, what was interesting, though, before this committee, and I mentioned to them that, that this was happening, and that it may change the way we go about writing standards. The traditional approach to a standard or revision, say we got a, the existing D-102, for example, which is the standard for coating systems on steel water storage tanks. When it's time for revision, they form what's called a revision task force. And that task force is a subset of the committee, will then go through the document and make updates and changes. You know, ANSI requires we do that every five years. Our goal at AWA is to do it every three to five years, uh, some of which we, you know, the D-102 most recently was updated after four, I believe. And uh, so we're really getting better at it. But the neat thing about this online capability is now we don't have to wait three or five years, three or four years for it to move through a committee, but we can do bits and pieces of a standard revisions immediately and push it right out. And that'll be the current version that's available live online. And so it'll change the way we go about writing these, pra- these manuals of practice, the guidance documents, and the standards themselves to where we don't have to do them whole hog, if you will. We can do bits and pieces at a time. And as new things happen and change, we can immediately adapt. As vice president of AWWA, how does that change your mindset 
to help these committees and these subcommittees think about this in a different way, because this really is going to change the way they've thought about and have done this for probably decades. Yeah, it will. I have to admit, uh, when I threw that out uh, the meeting, I got a few blank stares. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm sure you did. What is he saying? <laughs> what exactly is he? And how does this impact me? So that, that'll all be determined. But I think, again, the end result will be more information available to a wider audience on a, on a much quicker basis and more current information. Keeping it current is more important. Do you find that the regulations are changing fast enough that that may be part of the impetus to this? Or is this just a decision AWA has made to just be faster and better? I think it's just a sign of the times, right? This is kind of how industry works. This is how the association that represents the industry should work. And so I think it's just kind of catching up, as you mentioned before, with what other industries are doing. Uh, for example, I mean, the medical field, right? Their, their, their peer-reviewed studies have been available online forever, right, it seems. Uh, we're just now getting around to that. How do you think this will open up access to information for the end user? I think tremendously, yeah. And not only here in the U.S., but globally, right? Other countries that don't have the resources we do, don't have an AWWA, will get faster access to more current information, uh, I think, just through the, through the Internet. You know, we talked about the D-102. That's kind of what we're the most interested in because it's coating of steel water tanks. What are some of the new things coming out there? Is there anything that's new, fun, and exciting in the D-102 that we should be looking for going forward? Well, there was a uh, revision published in 17. So the current standard is D-102-17. And I'll point out to the listeners, it's important to always look for that those last two digits because... It's a good, it's a good <laughs> point. From time to time, people have referred to an out-of-date standards. So 17 is the most recent. Um, I, I've got a kind of a summary of some of the things, but I mean, in, a, in general, a, a broad discussion or broader discussion about inaccessible areas, better definitions about what is an inaccessible area and what isn't. Uh, that was included in, in definitions and in the appendix. Um, some minimum thick, uh, coating thicknesses for both inside and outside systems were, were changed, just tweaked a little bit, rounded up half mil, uh, but increasing the total thickness of the systems. But then, this is kind of exciting, a new inside coating system, inside coating system number six was added, and this was really submitted by Tanemic, and it's a two-coat, uh, either one, or, I'm sorry, two-coat system, one-coat organic zinc-rich primer, uh, minimum thickness of two and a half mils, and a finished coat of a two-component uh, epoxy with a minimum dry film thickness of 10 mils, bringing the total system thickness to 12 and a half mils. So you now have a one coat of zinc, one coat of epoxy, and a two coat system. Would you also include a stripe coat on the interior system like that as yeah, a standard as well? Sure. I think and it, and the standard actually references okay. that. Uh, stripe coat's just good painting practice. Absolutely. And, That's and, why I mentioned it. But sometimes as you get to the film thickness size, people think, well, I'll have enough to cover the peaks and the valleys of a weld seam or a sharp angle and things like that. And being in the industry as long as we have, I just still feel it's a good practice to brush and roll over those edges. Absolutely. What are some of the other things that are exciting that came out of AWWA's annual conference? Well, I think just in general, um, the expansion of, of, the, of the association into wastewater side is pretty exciting. There's a lot of new folks there interested in that. Um, and, and, and membership continues to grow in the association as we grow globally. Um, and I, I think that, that we focused this conference in particular, and last year, the focus was on innovation. And so I think this, this, the, um, the tagline for this year's conference was innovating the water industry. And um, I happen to be the creator and co-chair of AWA's innovation initiative, 
which I started as part of the Manufacturers Associate Council back in ACE 13. We first launched that. So for seven years now, we've been holding sessions and promoting innovation within the industry. It started as manufacturers vendors with new widgets trying to figure out, how do I get my new toy out here into the industry and get it, get somebody to try it? Out of that frustration is what it grew. But now it's grown to much bigger uh, effort. It is association-wide. At the winter board meeting in January, uh, the executive committee, we formed a new ad hoc committee of the executive committee uh, of AWWA uh, for innovation. And it's comprised of, we have six major consuls within the association. Every consul chair is part of that ad hoc for innovation. So now the innovation effort, if you will, is permeating the whole organization, every single aspect of it. So we're really focused on bringing innovation, you know, just accelerating the uptake of new technology, the acceptance and uptake of new technology. Our industry by nature is a risk averse industry. And um, I can remember when I was pushing new technologies and talking to my friends at EPA, and I push a little too hard, they'd lean back and say, well, you know, Randy, we're talking about public health and safety here. And it's like, yeah, okay, right, I get that. That's important. We never want to lose sight of that. But um, there's a fine line, there's a balance between being innovating, trying, innovative, trying new technologies and protecting public health and safety. There's a balance that has to be struck. And I think we're doing better to improve that. Um, we've, I've made some headway with the innovation initiative. We made headway with the regulatory community, the primacy agencies uh, regarding pilot studies. <clears throat> Excuse me. If you have a new uh, treatment pilot or any, any new technology, but pr primarily treatment, the regulations are written around treatment technologies. Um, every state in the union requires a one-year pilot, and you've got to go out and test it. And you can imagine a startup company uh, I, I use the example of, imagine I discovered chlorine in my basement last year. I discovered it was a really good at killing pathogens and, as a disinfectant in, in water, in potable water. And I got some great data, and I went to my, water, my local water superintendent, I showed it to him, he said, boy, this is really interesting, Randy, what does Missouri DNR say? And I would go to Missouri DNR. At the time, I was on the commission, and I said, I know the commissioner, I'd go see them, I'd go see the head of the Missouri DNR, and I'd show it to him, and they'd say, that's really interesting, Randy, you got to do a one-year pilot. And I thought, well, okay, I'm a small company. I, can, I live in St. Louis. I can do Missouri, maybe Illinois the first year, and the next year I'll do another couple. If I do two a year, do you really mean it takes 25 years to bring chlorine to this industry as a disinfectant? Really? It takes that long? And so they, the regulators understand the problem with that. And, and so they've been working together collaboratively, collaboratively on a subcommittee we have and are now talking about reciprocity for pilot studies between states so that one state might look at another state's pilot and say, okay, that's good, we'll take it. Wouldn't it be based more on the raw water quality and making sure that the raw water that was similar in a, in a study like that versus anything that's, else? That's really the key, and the regulators will quickly point that out. Because one time I was in Ohio and I said, look, let's say I had this pilot in Indiana and I'm going to bring it over here to Ohio. Are you telling me your water's different than theirs? And the, the, the answer was immediate. Oh, yeah. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and there's some truth to that. But certain, here's, the, here's the other thing, Jamie, I think is interesting. We've been able to make headway. There's one thing to talk about treatment technologies uh, where, yeah, you're totally dependent on the raw material, right, which you start with. But if it's a distribution system problem, say I've got a widget that solves a problem out in distribution, and, um, and, 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 it, and it's NSF approved for contact with potable water, NSF standard 61 is approved. Nothing in this device is going to hurt anyone if it's in potable water system. Why do I need a one-year pilot? 
And uh, I think a good example is, I know you all furnish, McGuire furnish mixers for, mm-hmm. for tanks. Absolutely. Classic example. There are certain states where they, they wanted to see a one-year pilot. And there are manufacturers who do THM removals for in-water tank as a treatment method inside those right. towers. Now that one bridges both, yeah. yeah it does bridge both. Yeah. And so it is unique that you can create mixing. And I'm seeing in a lot of states that mixers and new water towers is almost a guarantee. It's yeah. almost a standard now. It is almost a standard. Yeah. should and be. Does AWWA mention anything about mixing, or are they trying to stay out of the water quality no, portion of that? Or? Oh, no, no. They're heavily involved in water quality. I'm, I'm thinking uh, there's a nitrification manual M56. Yeah, I helped write some of that and review it. Um, that has a section on mixing, I know. Um, and I believe the, the new M42, the old M42 has a short section, but the new M42 have an expanded section on it. So, yeah, it's, it's referenced in a number of places. G200 is a guidance document for distribution system, also talks about mixing. So it's more, it is a water quality issue and a water age issue. So um, a, a wise utility would not put a new tank up without a mixer. I've been teasing a lot of people about concrete and that concrete around the country isn't technically NSF approved. As And yet we're supposed to have all things in contact with potable water NSF right. approved. And what is AWA's take on the coating of concrete to meet that standard? Or is it still based off of sampling and how often you get bad samples? And that would derive whether or not you coat the inside of a concrete tank. Well, I, I think in a, in a nutshell, AWA doesn't really have a position on that other than to support the current uh, requirements, every state in the union, every primacy agency has a requirement that anything in contact with potable water uh, needs to be NSF 61 approved, including concrete, <clears throat> raw concrete. And there is a way to test it. Um, the problem is, and the reality, that's that's the technical answer. <laughs> I was yes. going to ask you because a lot of, <laughs> yeah. I think AWWA gets into that that thin line of, okay, what's practical? Right. And in a perfect world, what does it look like? So I'm guessing right. we're going to get the perfect world answer and the practical answer. Yeah, so the, that's the perfect world answer <laughs> is yes, it should be. The, per, the uh, practical world answer is very few, pri- well, not a single one that I know of, primacy agency is willing to enforce it on that next new tank they're going to build. And I actually confronted one once, and I said, why are you not enforcing this? And the answer was, well, uh, if I enforce it on that next new tank that's going up, then what about the other thousands of tanks that I have out in my state that I didn't enforce it? And do, do we grandfather those? Do we go back? I said it becomes an enforcement nightmare. Or next time you have to do something to that tank, then do you have to? Like, yeah, you yeah, get into like a your slippery home, slope. Like your home, like a building, building code for your house, yep. right? So they, they are reluctant because if there is so much raw concrete in the industry exposed to potable water. How do they retroactively enforce that? That's, it's the practicality of that that keeps it from happening. However, Jim, you made a good point that um, distribution systems that are having trouble maintaining residual out of the distribution system, uh, some of the solutions could be, like you already provide, mixers, chemical cleaning, you know, frequent removal of the sediment. Um, and if in the case of a concrete tank, you can, uh, a possible tool to solve that would be to coat the raw concrete to minimize biofilm development. And every tank out there has biofilm, and it's just a matter of how, how mature much? it is yep. and how much carbon it's producing that reacts to forms THMs and degrades your, your residual. So I, I would say to an owner, if you're having trouble maintaining residual out in your distribution system in a tank, um, 
and it's concrete, one of the possible answers would be to clean it, chemically clean it, clean the sediment out, and paint the interior. As a coating manufacturer, do you look at uh, different types of products on the concrete versus the steel? Yes and no. For the, for the most part, it's the same technology. It's epoxy technology, just a matter of which flavor of epoxy you'd like. Uh, high build, you know, 100% solids or something like that. Um, there's some movement in water-based technology, some things there that are new. Um, but for the most part, it's the same technology. In fact, <clears throat> I should mention, a, a, a water systems engineering here in, or in Ottawa, Kansas, years ago, published an Opflow article uh, where they did a study in the laboratory where they grew biofilm on panels in the lab on a painted steel panel, on a raw concrete panel, and a painted concrete panel. And I had for years a plot of this, and I, I actually went to the association. So every industry, right, has an association. All the primacy agencies have their own association. It's called the Association of Sink Safe Drinking Water Administrators. I went to their conference, conference. So this is a conference of nothing but regulators. I showed them the graph. Look what happens to biofilm. There's an exponential growth on raw concrete, pretty steady growth on painted steel and painted concrete, but not nearly the kind of growth you get uh, from raw concrete. It's because of the porosity and the ability of the biofilm to hide back in all those little holes and crevices and, and mature. Because it's porous. Very porous. So that, um, that graph was published in Opflow, and that article got a lot of attention. But again, very little enforcement from the, the primacy agency. However, as an operator now, there's some education they have, right? They have some understanding. Because of this research, they have a better understanding of um, how to maintain or how, if, for a trouble tank, a problem tank, concrete tank, how to maintain residual through some of these tools. Yeah. So we started talking all of, about all of this because of innovation. Where, where does the innovation push come from? Is it from AWWA? Or did it come from industry corporations saying, hey, we need to partner to, to move some of this stuff along, like you mentioned with the, the one-year testing? Yeah, well, that's a good question. Um, when we just discussed this at the conference last week, that they, they, we've developed an innovation roadmap overview, uh, which we, we pushed out at ACE 17, I'm sorry, 18 last year, um, that really is designed for utility to walk them through developing their own customized innovation plan for that utility. And it's basically a gap analysis, right? You start with where are you today, where do you want to go, and then fill in how we're going to get there. And, and so uh, we talked about that, and we're, we're going to develop a guidance document behind that, this overview, so that a utility can sit down with kind of a checklist and run through it and develop their own innovation uh, roadmap. But the, the consensus is it has to be utility-centric, meaning it really is focused on the utility's needs. So the driver, to answer your question, I think the driver is the utility, right? They've got a problem. They need a, they need a solution. And, and so they look to, in, in AWA, we always refer to ourselves, that we're, we're comprised of a family of five. It's the regulatory, I'm sorry, it's the utility first and foremost, right? We exist to serve the utilities. And then it's the regulatory community, the, those in academia doing research, the manufacturers, service providers like us, and um, the fifth one would be the consulting community, the consulting engineers. So it's a family of five. We each have a seat at the table, equal seats, uh, there to support the utility. So the roadmap is designed and because we realize that the real driver for innovation is a utility with a problem. One of the other four family members, or even the utility themselves, they're going to start trying to figure out a way to solve that problem. And sometimes we do it together. Sometimes we do it independently. Uh, the most effective ones I've seen have been when a vendor and a utility partner 
There's a great deal of that going on. And, uh, or a utility and a university and a vendor partner. Tremendous amount of work going on there. Never thought about a university, getting the students involved, Doing getting research them more labs. involved. They've got the laboratories. <laughs> That's an excellent idea. Yeah. It sounds like there's a sense of synergy in that group. And I'm guessing it, it even trickles down into these committees that we talk about that look at the different regulations or different, you know, standards, standards. that you write. Right. What do those groups look like that come up with the D100, the D102, the M42, all these yeah. different things? What do those groups look like? Yeah, that's really good, too. The, the, uh, the beauty, the, the secret sauce of AWA is it's all volunteer effort. Now, they have a great staff, staff about 160 people currently. Um, amazing staff, do amazing things. Uh, but the bulk of the work is done by volunteers. So each committee, we, we try and be very careful. The committees are balanced with, to represent each of the family of five. And even within the family, in the case of the D-102, there are service providers, there are applicators, there are coding manufacturers, you know, and there's consultants. And so, and the utility, each voice is a little different. Each perspective is different. So these committees, and there's literally, I think there's, the last estimation was 5,000 volunteers. Wow, that's a lot of volunteers. That's a lot. At any given moment, involved in standard or manual practice development. And... You think of the countless hours that they devote, and, and it's all all based on on their their willingness to work together. <coughs> excuse me, to develop a consensus document that really is, and and again, I'll, I'll keep pointing to the one hundred two. It's an easy example that uh, is a consensus document. The industry we get together as a family five, we agree this is the best practice, and. And it's a minimum standard, right? So it's a minimum kind of performance or formulation standard where it points to the SSPC paint system numbers and other standards that exist. But it is, I think it's important for an owner to understand, these are consensus. We've agreed as an industry, as volunteers, this is the best practice. And that it's a minimum level. You really want to look at this, and this is not where you want to be in a lot of cases. You want to be above this, and thankfully there are vendors uh, like like myself that can do that. Um, But the utility needs to be aware that just to go with the standard minimum is probably not where they want, what they really want. I'm finding, though, that a lot with the new technology is still uh, driving where the water quality needs to be, but finances in the community has been the biggest struggle we see. Mm -hmm. So as we come out with new technology, it's usually a higher price tag. As we find tighting regulations come down, it's a tighter, it's a higher price tag. If you look at some of the states, they're looking at billions of dollars just to maintain an already failing infrastructure. So is some of the technology also helping to drive costs down and trying to help these small communities that have aging infrastructures? But well, tighter yeah, regulations. The, yeah, the, the regulatory. Yeah, there are costs to regulations, and uh, but in in many cases, the solutions. I think the short answer to your question is yes. A lot of the solutions end up being cost saving solutions. Um, and I'll use an example in in, in our, again the industry I know, um, in the coatings industry, the the advent of some of our newer technology. Even I go back to zinc rich zinc rich primers as a technology. Um, Sure, zinc-rich primers cost more than just plain epoxy primers, but they extend the service life significantly of an interior, especially roof rafter area of a tank, or the advent of the fluoropolymer technologies as a top coat. Um, we've made a significant improvement in the service life of, of a tank coating system um, by the use of fluoropolymer technologies. 
Uh, I mean, it's it's an order of magnitude, three to four times, perhaps. But certainly, I think the other the other thing that was interesting when we first released Zincs, you know, Tanimic was the first to to release a zinc-rich primer, NSF-approved zinc-rich primer for the interior portable water storage tank. And what we discovered was the use of zinc plus the top coat, you you actually get about a fifty percent bump in the service life by the combination. So, um, although NSF, I think we have NSF approval for exposed zinc-rich primers, we would never do that because we can significantly improve the service life by just adding the top coat. Uh, so it's things like that where, to, to your point, yes, those technologies are more expensive, and at least on the upfront capital expense, but over a life cycle cost analysis on a net present value basis, they're going to be cheaper. You're going to actually save money in the long run. What does it say about your organization that you do have over 5,000 volunteers that are willing to take their own time in the industry to help steer it, make it better, make suggestions to come up with these standards? Yeah, I think it speaks more, not to the association, but to the industry itself, right? The people that work in this industry, um, they're really good folks, and um, none of them are in it to get rich. I don't, I don't think I know anybody, any utility manager that's driving a Tesla, probably never happened, uh, but they they see the 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 contribution they're making to society, the contribution they're making to the community, the importance of being able to deliver clean, safe drinking water 24-7, 365. That's important. And and they see that importance. And so they're willing to donate their time to make that possible for everybody. Um, Even those on the collection side, right? I mean, you flush your toilet, somebody's got to deal with it. (laughs) Thankfully, there are men and women, they get up every day and they deal with it. They do it very well. Well, So many of them, it's more of a sense of community and sense of pride more than anything else. Because you're right, they're not necessarily doing it for the money. No. (laughs) So so there is a sense of community in which they want to participate and be part of. So that's a good point. Yeah. So it speaks, it speaks volumes about the types of folks in the industry. Um, the fact that they want to join an association and work together is just who they are. So once you've come up with a standard, the, the, the group of five, as I'm calling them. Mm-hmm. Family all, of five. Yeah, yeah, all agree. <laughs> what happens then? Well, it gets published. Uh, there's, of course, there's a, in, the, in the revision task force or in the task force that develops a stand, new standard, for example, uh, goes through multiple revisions, multiple uh, points where everybody stands back and looks at it and says, is this right? Any corrections? If there's an objection, if there's a single objection, it has to be addressed. Every objection has to be addressed. Once it gets through that hurdle, the document then goes up through, in this, in this case, of a, uh, on, the, on the tank side, goes up to this main tank committee that I also serve on. We then review it and say, okay, looks good. And then the final review is it goes actually up to the council chair and then to the executive board uh, or the executive um, committee of the AWA board of directors. So I sit at, sit at that level as well. So I, I get about three or four looks at anything related to tanks. So after the standard is approved by everyone, how does the industry use it? Well, it's published then. Uh, It's final. And uh, ADBA will sell copies. Copies are available for sale. Um, Now, of course, like I said, they're available online. You can download them. your handy-dandy app. Yep. You can can download (laughs) them immediately. Perfect. And um, and then disseminate it through the industry, and and then hopefully everyone implements as best practice. Um, So in the case of some of these standards, they've been written into the 10 state standards or the primacy agencies. Uh, regulations for some time that you know they refer to the most current version of whatever standard they're referring to. Uh, so they're quickly adopted in the in- industry. But they are more just guidelines. They uh, are. You know, like the washout. You know, yeah. and a washout on a water tower, 
recommendations once every three years or three to five years. M42 and I, says three and to five. 42, three yeah. to five. But I think it's important just to think about your water system or the person's water system and their treatment process and, and make a judgments based off of that. Because yep. there isn't a law that says you have to wash that out by three to five years. It is a recommendation. A few states do have a, a the ten state legis- standards. Yeah. I think has There's a said, few states that have a regulate or yeah time period legislated in yeah. statute. Kansas does have a two right. every two I years. Tennessee's got one. one. Anyway, um, so your points well taken though, Jamie. That that um, the operators really incumbent on them to know their system and to know their rate of sedimentation accumulation and then adjust their cleanup frequency accordingly. So I would always quote the M42 mm-hmm. and say, yeah, it says How, three to however, five. Three to however, five. <laughs> what's your system doing, right? And of course, we I, see a lot of systems at McGuire that are heavy with iron and manganese and need to be cleaned out every year. Yes. But I, like back to your point is, I think that's up to each operator, but knowing your system, but following the guidelines gives you a better sense of how often it should be done. Right, at a minimum. Yep. Yeah, at a minimum. And and you mentioned iron manganese deposition. I think that's the the other uh, important thing to point out, that not only sediment removal is important, but the iron manganese deposition removal is also important because that's where the biofilm often will will, will shield or be shielded and harbored and grow and mature. Um, And... What, what I saw and discovered was that high-pressure water alone won't remove that. You really need to chemically clean it um, and that you need uh, a, mineral, a blend of mineral acids, what most of the industry uses, to remove the iron manganese deposition. And if you really want to get uh, at least your, bio, your biofilm growth back to point zero so you can start over again, that's what needs to happen. Randy, can you come up with a coating that stops the bottom of a pedosphere from molding for me, please? <laughs> I knew that question was coming. <laughs> please help me with that. Would I surprise you if I said we're working on it? I would love for you to. <laughs> you know, in, in, when it comes to uh, top coating, think of that. And you come in, you have to clean and wash the inside. Well, periodically, right. we have to clean and wash the outside. Correct. And so we do run into times where it's like, well, we can't hit it too hard because we're always afraid of top coat delamination and right. things like that. So find a way to stop me from pressure washing the outside of a water tank. And that would be wonderful. One of the things I do think is interesting, too, that you've also, I was reading an article about pipes. And um, you have a product that goes to prevent uh, for sweating, for condensation. Is it, it, can that be used on the belly of a pedosphere, like we build at McGuire Iron, to stop the condensation from the bowl going onto the first platform or where the crow's nest would be? Yeah, we're, we've been doing a fair amount of that. The inside dry of a single pad uh, often can be, a, depending where you're in the country, a condensation problem where it drips on the storage area. And so, uh, yes, that's a perfect application. We can keep that uh, belly from sweating. We can keep the, the riser pipe from sweating as well. And uh, if it keeps from sweating, then we're not going to have any any condensation problems. So yeah, it's a it's a an insulative coating actually featured in a recent Opflow article with a couple of case studies. That's, I that's what it. you saw. Okay. Yep. Yeah. So you have you have one seriously interested reader in your <laughs> yeah. Opflows, which is great. And I'm sure many, many others. Randy's wrote a ton of articles for the Opflow over the years and they've yeah. all been very, very good. So I think I'm referred to as a frequent contributor. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a great segue into my next question is how can people get involved if they've listened to this, if they've heard about AWWA and say, you know what, I want to get involved? How do they go about doing that? It's really pretty easy. Uh, you go to awa.org and there's a volunteer tab you can hit. 
You submit your information, and I'll guarantee you staff will be contacting you because we're always looking for more volunteers. And you can, you can select areas of interest. Uh, there's a particular standard you want to be involved in. Most of them are wide open. You can just sign up. Um, there are some that are oversubscribed, and so they kind of manage people rotating on and off. But uh, for the most part, it's, it's wide open. Anybody wants to volunteer can. Is there a term limit that you would sit for? Or uh, is in, in an organization like that, or is it just as long as you're willing to give your time? Is, is, most committees, as long as you're willing to give your time. Those that are oversubscribed, uh, we're approaching a three- to five-year turnover. That's what we're kind of looking at, yeah. Um, but in a lot of cases, you would automatically rotate off after a period of time and then just matter of volunteering again to rotate back on. So it's, uh, we can always use more volunteers. On the training side of AWWA, do you reach out from a corporate level to assist material to the state chapters and say, hey, here are guidelines or courses that you can use, uh, that you can promote in your area? There's quite a bit of that going on, actually, with uh, AWA's received some federal grants recently to do uh, small utilities training. And so, yes, we've developed a corporately at AWA a curriculum that is then uh, pushed out to the sections, which then conduct local training, again, primarily aimed at small utilities. Because that seems to be where some of the largest problems, at least that we're seeing, are happening, just because, you know, smaller communities, smaller systems, less tax base, less tax, and they're trying to figure out, okay, how do I take care of this system that has to meet certain standards with the budget I have, with the, you know, little manpower I have and all of those different things. Well, they may not be able to afford to go to, to the ACE shows because they're too far with travel. So getting the training into the communities is... So that's one venue. But then each section has their own annual conferences. Some of them have multiple conferences. Uh, and so they do, there's a great deal of training available there as well. There will be workshops. Uh, of course, there's the technical presentations that you can go and attend. Uh, I know the Illinois section in particular designates, I think their first day Monday of the conference is Operators Day, and there's training specifically designed for a plant operator, and they give them a reduced registration fee, and they draw quite a few operators that, like you said, probably wouldn't, can't make it to the national conference, but can, if you help them a little bit, encourage them, you can make it Get to, to the, the local. Yep. Yeah. So final topic with talking about this is what is the future of AWWA? I mean, I'm sure you guys have a strategic plan, what this looks like. In ten years, what are we gonna, what are we gonna see AWWA doing? Well, that's that's a really good question, and I and I we, we did wrestle with that a little bit. We we actually the executive committee we've decided that there's going to be a re, a review of the strategic plan. Uh, it's been three years, I think, since we last did it, and not sure that we need to change anything, but we want to stop and pause and say, is there anything we want to change? Um, I think the the future is continued growth in the wastewater side of things and the collection system side of things will continue to grow and expand in that arena to really encompass the whole water sector and reuse as well. I mean, reuse reuse market is coming on strong uh, for good reason. And so it'll be a broader picture than just what it has been in the past in terms of potable water. Um, It'll be all water. And that's kind of exciting to, to see how we're changing and growing there. Uh, I mentioned already the digital platform that's going to continue the the mobile app you know for operator certification those kind of things are going to continue I see a lot more of that coming uh, so it's it's going to continue to evolve and change for sure.
Thank you to Randy Moore and Jamie Mays for helping us understand who the American Water Works Association is and how they benefit the water storage and wastewater industries. Remember, you can always connect with us by going to our website, mcguireiron.com. You can ask questions by sending us an email at info at or you can follow or reach out to us on any of our social media platforms. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Thank you for joining us on the McGuire Iron Podcast.